It is rather rare that people think about the title of a sermon before I come to church. Last Sunday evening, you know that the lesson that was begun was continued on Sunday night, and I had two or three people mention to me, I really wanted to hear that sermon on those who are oppressed, frustrated, alone, and unappreciated because many people said, I feel that way. I will tell you that the study of the book of Ecclesiastes, at least to me, has been challenging but rewarding. I will tell you that if you have not spent any time reading the book of Ecclesiastes, I want to encourage you to do that. Brother G. Campbell, not Brother G. Campbell Morgan, the famous old preacher, G. Campbell Morgan, used to say that he would not preach on any text unless he had read that text at least 50 times. The more I read the book of Ecclesiastes, the more humbled I am before this book and the message that it has. But I will tell you at the same time, it is rewarding because within it are some things that are as current as anything you can find in the Bible. One could interpret Solomon as being cynical and depressing. But in reality, what Solomon is doing is unmasking this world and all that it has to offer. If you really look at this world with a careful eye and see within it what it really is, you will become cynical about it because it is a depressing world and all that it has to offer. In my judgment, chapter 4 offers some powerful pictures of how to deal with the problems of this world and the problems that it has. And yet Solomon says four times, verse 3, verse 6, verse 9, and verse 13, that there are things that are better within it. There are some choices that are certainly better than others. And so this morning, or this evening, we're going to look at the four parts of chapter 4. Verses 1 through 3 will talk about those who are oppressed. Verses 4 through 6 will talk about those who are frustrated. Verses 7 through 12 will talk about those who are alone. And verses 13 through 16 will discuss those people who are unappreciated. So if you will, let's look at this book, this chapter, and these verses. Verses 1 through 3. Then I returned and considered all the oppression that is done under the sun. And look, the tears of the oppressed, but they have no comforter. On the side of the oppressors there is power, but they have no comforter. Therefore I praised the dead who were already dead more than the living who are still alive. Yet better than both is he who never existed, who has not seen the evil work that is done under the sun. If you will, for just a moment, think with me about the way Solomon expresses himself. He will say, then I returned. I have titled this series of lessons, The Pondering of the Preacher. And he will say, I have returned again to thinking about things. 
And I think about what I see in this world, and he says what I see is a disturbing thought of the oppression that exists in this world. For just a moment, think with me about some of the oppression that exists in 2012. I'm not talking about years ago. I'm talking about today. Slavery, past and present. Most of us, when you bring up the subject of slavery, think about two times. We think about those Afro-American people who were brought over from Africa to our country here and who were sold on the block for an amount of money to other people who bought them, owned them, worked them. Or you may think back to biblical times. Today it is illegal in the majority of the countries of the world to put someone under slavery to buy them and sell them. And yet there are still people who are being forced into slavery. Go to many of the countries that are in Southeast Asia like Thailand. And young girls are taken from the various poor provinces and carried to Bangkok at a very young tender age and forced into prostitution against their will. There are others who are, through some sort of trades, forced to work in factories. I'm talking about children working 10, 12-hour shifts. They have no choice. They have no say in it. They are oppressed. Think about the Jewish people during the Nazi regime. These people were oppressed in the sense that they had no choice of where they wanted to live or to die. They were herded like cattle. Many of them were slaughtered in gas chambers. And there is still genocide that goes on in our world today. Think about the dictatorships in some of the countries that exist. In Syria, if you've listened carefully to the news over the last several months, you know that the ruler of that country, the dictator of that country, has slain his own people. These people want to escape. They want to leave. They want to get away from it. But they can't. They're under oppression. Think about the economic oppression that many people suffer. And then you can turn around and you can say, well, do I see that anywhere in the Bible? Most certainly. Exodus chapter 3, verse 7 and verse 9 Moses records, and the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. And I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. Verse 9, now therefore behold, the cry of the children of Israel have come to me. And I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. You've got to make a certain quota of bricks. We complain and now you have to go gather your own straw and you still have to make the same number of bricks. You have no choice. I want to leave. No, you can't leave. You can't go. You must serve. Or consider the book of Judges. The children of Israel had settled the promised land. And now, because of their disobedience, nation is rising after nation and oppressing them. And here's what we read. And when the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge that delivered them 
out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by the groaning because of those who oppressed them and harassed them. Or consider just a very simple statement from Solomon in Ecclesiastes 7 verse 7. Surely oppression destroys a wise man's reason. You ponder that in your mind for just a moment. Oppression destroys a wise man's reason. Do you believe that you can take a man who is able to reason well, to think clearly, and you can oppress him so long that he doesn't care anymore, he's willing to give up and give in? Solomon says it destroys his reason. Luke 4, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Jesus was here to relieve oppression from the perspective of of those who are oppressed, Solomon reflects their frustration. Now think with me for just a moment. He says, I returned and I saw the oppression. But he says there was no one to comfort them. He said, I looked and I saw the oppressors. With them there was power, there was ability. But there was no comforter. Do you think people who are under oppression ever get to the point where they're in despair and they're frustrated. I can't change my situation. I can't climb out of the hole I'm in. I can't get anything to do any better than I'm doing. There are people who feel like that tonight. Now, let's move to verses 4 through 6 and talk about the really frustrated. He says, again, I saw that for all toil and every skillful work man is envied by his neighbor. This also is vanity and grasping for wind. The fool folds his hands and consumes his own flesh. Better is a handful with quietness than both hands full together with toil and grasping for wind. When I read that initially, I thought, I don't get it. Well, let me take just a moment here. Just like verses 1 through 3 describes the powerlessness of the oppressed, verses 4 through 6 describes the frustration of the successful. It's really, if you will, the two extremes. This person over here feels like he has no power, no ability. Financially, he can't climb out. He is powerless. This man over here has been successful. He's worked hard. Now think about it for just a minute. The lazy man that he describes here in this passage wants what the worker has acquired. The worker's gone out and he's worked real hard. He's made well with what he's been given. Here's the man over here who's folded his hands and done nothing, and he envies him. I want what he's got. 
I realize that some of this is current terminology, but this is class warfare against the successful. It is a redistribution of the wealth of the worker. The man who's put his time, his effort in trying to work and acquire something, and the man who has not worked, will not work, says, I want that. Give it to me. Some who make good grades are envied by their classmates. Have you ever been in a class where there's two or three people who make an A and you made a C? I don't know what's wrong with them folks. I can tell you what's wrong with them. They stayed up late and they studied hard and they worked hard and they made a good grade and they deserve it. Some people are so envious to say, I want the A, but I don't want to have to do the work. You believe that? And the person who's worked hard, who makes that grade or makes that money, it feels, I'm frustrated, I've worked hard, and somebody else wants to take what I have worked hard for. You see, the Bible warns against laziness and envy. Psalm 73, verse 3 says, For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Drop down to verse 7. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than their heart could wish. I look at them. I see what they've got. And I want it. I'm envious of them. They've got plenty. More than they need. Proverbs 12:24 says, The hands of the diligent will rule. But the lazy will be put to forced labor. You see, the, the man who works hard is going to acquire a certain position. You go to chapter 13, verse 4. The soul of the lazy man desires and has nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. Proverbs 21, 25. The desire of the lazy man kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. It's not he's poor because he can't help it. He's poor because he chose it. But he sees what the other man has and he wants it. It seems as if the choice is work hard, be successful, and be envied. And how frustrating that is. Or be lazy and be in want. Do you see the two polar opposites here? The oppressed person and the successful person. Is either one of them happy? Did it really make their life? Well, you say, I know this oppressed man's not happy. Well, let me tell you what. The man who's been successful financially is not really happy either. Well, let me turn to the third Thing that Solomon discusses here in verses 7 through 12. Then I returned and I saw the vanity under the sun. There's one alone without companion. He has neither son nor brother. Yet there's no end to all of his labors. Nor is his eye satisfied with riches. But he never asked, For whom do I toil and deprive myself of good? This also is vanity and grave misfortune. 
two are better than one because they have good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he will have no one to help him up. And if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. There are many people who are lonely and feel that they must face the struggles of life all by themselves. I'd like for you to consider just some of the people who are lonely. The people that I think about most often who are lonely are people who have been married for a lifetime. And they've lost their husband or their wife. They have once enjoyed a companionship and now that husband, that wife is gone and they feel like they stand there alone. There have been people who've had large families, children in their home, and their children have grown and gone, and now they feel alone. There's young men and young women who never found the, the companion of life, and it seems now they've become the old maid or the, the old bachelor, and they feel like they have to face life alone. Solomon gives a very bleak picture of that. I'd like for you to think about Jesus. You know, Jesus didn't marry. Jesus did not have all the things that you and I may consider a part of life. For instance, Luke 9, verse 58, And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. There's no place that Jesus could go and say, this is my home, this is where I live, this is where I have my place to lay my head. Yes, he could visit people, but they, that was just that, visiting. That's enough to make you sad in and of itself. In John 16 and verse 32, as Jesus is preparing to go to the cross, he says, Indeed, the hour is coming, and yes, now has come that you will be scattered each to his own and will leave me alone. And yet I'm not alone because the Father is with me. When it comes to all the earthly people, whether it was Peter, James, and John, they ran off. They hid. All those apostles hid. And Jesus told them, you're going to leave me here by myself all alone. But he says, I still have the Father with me. But then I am carried to Matthew 27, 46. And as Jesus, about the ninth hour, cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For that moment, on that cross, Jesus was all alone. You think about the loneliness that's a part of that. I must move quickly now to the unappreciated. Verses 13 through 16 say, Better is a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who will be admonished no more. 
For he comes out of prison to be king, although he was born poor in his kingdom. I saw all the living who walk under the sun. They were with the second youth who stands in his place. There was no end of all the people over who he was made king. Yet those who come afterward will not rejoice in him. Surely this is also vanity and grasping for wind. Let me just take a moment to contrast the two kings here. There's the one that is young, or one that is old, and then the one that is young. There's the one that is foolish, and the one that is wise. There's the one that is rich, and there's the one that is poor. And Solomon, if you read this carefully, read it two or three times if you need to, talks about the old king, and then he talks about the coming new king. And then he talks about this coming new king, and after he's gone, who remembers him? He's not appreciated any more than the old, unwise king was. And that's what Solomon observes This man's not appreciated for all his wisdom and all the good that he has done. Perhaps he has in mind Saul and his foolishness and his father David, who coming from poor, humble beginnings, arises to be the king and was a wise king. But after David was gone, what's he remembered? How's he remembered? I'm sure that if you go back in history, you can read about the number of presidents in our country. Some of them at the time, I'm sure, were doing great things. How many of us remember their names and remember what they did? Because we tend to live in the present. So Solomon really is just stepping back. And he's looking at the oppressed and the frustrated in the alone and the unappreciated. Have you ever felt like that? Feel like you belong in any one of those categories? And you can say, wow, this is depressing. This world is cruel and it offers no lasting promise. But Jesus has the answer. I want to end with John 16, verse 33. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Do you know when Jesus said that? When he was in the upper room, or at least somewhere between the upper room and Gethsemane. And he said that to the people who were going to forsake him. And Jesus was going to be oppressed. He was delivered to the cross because of envy. He was a man who was going to stand all alone. And he was the true wise king who was unappreciated. But Jesus said, be of good cheer. I've overcome this world. You can too. In this world, you can have tribulation, but I can give you peace. 
You want me to tell you how you can lay your head on your pillow tonight regardless of what circumstances you find yourself in life? If you know that you're saved from your sin, walking with the Lord, and that all is well spiritually. We're going to sing this song of encouragement. If you need to be baptized for the remission of your sins, you need to come forward. Let us help you. We will assist you as you become a New Testament Christian, and you can rejoice. Come what may. If you're a child of God who needs to be restored, things can be better because God will be with you and help you. Would you come as we stand and say?